On the record on News Talk. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. Today is April the 17th. It is the anniversary of the death of Benjamin Franklin, inventor, scientist, political philosopher, and as Donald Fallon just introduced him here off air, the most referenced man in all of hip-hop music. Uh, Recalled to history as the first American, uh, Franklin wasn't just a founding father of the uh, United States. He was also maybe uh, America's first international statesman. Uh, In 1771, he came to Ireland, uh, something I didn't know about, and it was a visit which would have a great influence on his own thinking, and it gave a lot of confidence too to Irish reformers, even though the American Revolution um, hadn't still happened yet. So Donald Fallon has uh, dipped out of his his iPod full of stories about the Benjamins uh, to come in and talk to us uh, this Easter Sunday. Well, you've answered it there. If anyone was scratching their head wondering how is Ben Franklin the most referenced man yeah. in hip-hop, he's on the dollar-dollar bills, yo. Which is why they do it for the Benjamins. Um, in its own strange way, Easter in Ireland has its own kind of connections to the story of the American Revolution. Yeah, when Ben Franklin signed the Declaration of Independence in 1776, he was unbelievably 70 years of age. Isn't that extraordinary? That, that made him the oldest signatory uh, of that history-defining document. I think that's really why he didn't become a president of the United States, Ben yeah. Franklin, because of, because of age. Well, Washington was always going to get the gig, and then by the time he was moving on, he was just way too old to take it on. That's yeah. it. That's it. But, you know, as you mentioned, this time of year, Easter, the influence of that document, I think, true political history is unequaled. Uh, so if we compare the words of the American Declaration of Independence, okay, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among the, these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. With the okay. 1916 proclamation, okay. the Republic guarantees religious and civil liberty, equal rights and equal opportunities to all its citizens, and declares its resolve to pursue the happiness and prosperity of the whole nation and all of so its they're parts. They're literally talking about the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness, that direct influence of the language of Franklin and Washington on that 1916 generation. So, you know, the pursuit of happiness was a unique political aspiration when they wrote those words in 1776. Something anyone had ever thought of happiness as something that could be pursued. Yeah. But it's one that shaped political dreamers everywhere, including yeah. here in it, Ireland. It, it is sort of, it, it's a very navel gazy moral question, but whether like politics can create happiness is a kind of a, an interesting question. Certainly, if, if you work full-time in Leinster House, the answer is no, no it cannot. <laughs> um, Benjamin Franklin is, is often wrongly recalled uh, as an American president, and maybe it's because he's on, on the dollar-dollar bill. Yeah, you know, Franklin had the honour of being one historian Riley noted the only American president who was never American president and what, <laughs> yeah. he, what he means by that is he was just so important you know that while he may not have made it to the White House the very idea of an American republic the very idea of the White House without Ben Franklin you know without his work it's a ludicrous idea mm. uh, born in Boston 1706 he's remembered I suppose not merely as a great political reformer but a brilliant inventive mind you know someone who experimented with electricity he invented the Franklin stove you know, to battle the cold of Pennsylvania. He was a pioneering figure of popular printing and, and, and journalism. That was important. That became a big weapon, you know, in the pursuit of American yeah. independence, mm. the, the printing press. Uh, he created basically the fire service, the Union Fire Company in Pennsylvania, Whoa. forerunner of modern day firefighting. So from, you know, in every aspect of life, this guy, Franklin, was a genius. And he was a key mover, really, in local politics in America, seeking a better deal for the colonists. And that's what brings him, if you will, 
into our sphere of influence and, and brings him to Britain. And it's speaking, seeking a better deal for the colonists, as you put it there, is an interesting way to put it because it's often forgotten now. But at the start, the colonists weren't actually all that interested in getting away from the empire. They just wanted to have a slightly better deal where they were. Yeah, they weren't you know men who desired or dreamt of kind of total separation from Britain. They thought their place was in Britain. They just thought they weren't being treated particularly well you know, within Britain. Gordon Lucy, the historian, he's written about how even as late as 1775, in the year before the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson writes of how there is not in the British Empire a man who more cordially loves a union with Great Britain than I do. I mean, that's a year, <laughs> the year before, year before wow. the Declaration of Independence. So, you know, throughout the 1770s, this move is happening, if you will, in American politics from one to the other. But it's in this capacity, you know, of seeking better treatment for the colonists in America that Ben Franklin is dispatched to London and he would spend a lot of time in London between the mid-1750s and the mid-1770s. And that's important for a couple of reasons, but primarily two, I suppose. One, we all think of Washington as the face of the American Revolution, but Ben Franklin is the most immediately recognisable American in Britain for a long, long time in the 18th century. He is the public face of American aspirations. He's the guy they're making fun of in in the British newspapers and in British politics. And secondly, by being in Britain for so long, by being in London for so long, it gave him a base from which to travel Europe, which which he did. And it was that proximity which, you know, encouraged him, I think, to visit Ireland in, in 1771. Uh, and just to put it in context then, this being 1771, this is obviously long before uh, any kind of a home rule movement. Well, you probably have our own home rule at this point because it's before the Act of Union. But this is this is in Ireland long before the United Irishmen. This is before Vinegar Hill. This is before any kind of real separatism. Yeah, I wanted to put this in context. I was thinking, what's the best way to put the time Ben Franklin comes to Ireland in context. So I looked up what age was Wolf Tom when Ben Franklin came to Ireland, right? Okay. Theobald Wolf Tom's an eight-year-old child. <laughs> so that's, that's the context here. You know, The father of Irish republicanism is an eight-year-old child when Ben Franklin arrives in Ireland in 1771. So there, the idea of republicanism you know, is still on the distant horizon, really, in a, big, in, a, in a meaningful sense, politically. But Franklin, when he came here, there was a different kind of Irish patriotism, you know, and one that he recognised more clearly. There were men similar to him in class and creed, you know, good Protestant gentlemen who wanted a better deal from, from Britain. Reformers, not revolutionaries, you know, men who wanted, you know, uh, better trade laws for Ireland, men who wanted a greater, greater standing for Ireland, like Jonathan Swift decades earlier. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I think because these were good Protestant gentlemen, not unlike those who would bring about the American Declaration uh, of Independence. That's an important bit of the story. These were guys who wanted, you know, a fair deal from Britain within Britain. Yeah, so that wasn't necessarily about separatism uh, at all. Um, he makes it to College Green, and uh, which is where, of course, the Parliament was sitting at the time, and he finds the lads who were there most agreeable. Yeah, it's an incredible building. And actually, in your former life as a journalist with Daily Edge or the Journal, the journal yeah. you wrote a very interesting piece about on the, uh, the architecture. Yes, because I, I did the basically that's got two different entrances. One was for the House of Commons. One was for the House of Lords. Uh, when Bank of Ireland uh, took it from the state they agreed that it had to be broken up so that it could never be used as a parliament sitting again. They've still got the House of Lords upstairs, uh, which I've always yes. means to go in and visit, but never have. And they still have the, the wool sack, which is literally the, the chair upon which the Speaker of the House of Lords sits, still up there ceremony that you can go and visit. Yeah. I think they occasionally have meetings of the Board of Bank of Ireland in that room. Which actually, is mad. Yeah. And sometimes if the door is open, they let you walk in and, and, and have a look at it. But you know, Franklin visits that building on, on College Green. And it's, it's a new thing then. You know, It's an 18th century creation. And he's bestowed with this great honour. They let him actually sit in the Chamber of Parliament, which is a big deal, wow. you know, especially okay, back then. Yeah. So he doesn't have to watch from the, the visitor's gallery, if you will. Yeah, he's right in the, in the midst benches, of it. Yeah. And he would describe this as a mark of respect for our country. It left a deep impression on him. And the way he writes about those 
Irish parliamentarians is great. I found them disposed to be friends of America, in which disposition I endeavoured to confirm them with the expectation that our growing weight might in time be thrown into their scale and by joining our interests with theirs might be obtained for them as well as for us a more equitable treatment from this nation Mm, being Britain. So, you know, this idea that Franklin is not only visiting other places, but he's making connections and Mm. saying... We might be a big player in world politics someday, you know, and perhaps friendship between us could be could be beneficial yeah, I just uh, kind to of, each other. Kind of find it fascinating as well because if this is 1771, that there isn't an independent America. There's only colonies, so he's not like an office holder anywhere. Exactly. But he's still over, and he's just in some some ill-defined statesman, and he's already of such renown that they let him sit on the benches Good. amongst them, which is wild. Um, to his credit, though, he goes further than just going to talk to the MPs in College Green. He goes and interacts with the poor. And he finds what he sees pretty shocking. Yeah, you can walk around College Green all day and think, wow, this place is doing great. You know, look at Trinity College, look at look at the Irish Parliament. Isn't this just fantastic? But he's smart enough, Franklin, to understand that's a tiny percentage of the Irish people that are represented in that little tiny bit of Dublin. So, you know, he takes this much broader view of Ireland. What he writes is amazing. Ireland is itself a fine country, Dublin a magnificent city, but the appearances of general extreme poverty amongst the lower people are amazing. They live in wretched hovels of mud and straw, are clothed in rags and subsist chiefly on potatoes. Our New England farmers of the poorest sort in regard to the enjoyment of all the comforts of life are princes when compared to them. Wow. I mean, it's extraordinary observations. And he travels like beyond the city of Dublin. He makes it to Hillsborough Castle uh, in Ulster. And it would seem that, I think it's when he goes out of the urban centre, you know, when you get out of College Green and you see how people actually live in mm, Ireland, yeah. that has a big impact on his mind because he's thinking, this is a totally underdeveloped country. You know, it has no industrial prospect and yet it's right next door to Britain. And in the mind of an American, you're probably thinking, this is something of a warning cry. You know, if an island of such ge- geographic proximity to the centre of the empire could fall as dramatically as this place has, mm. has what could happen to us? You know, what could lay in store for America? Um, and maybe then that's the seed planted for what happens in time, which is when Franklin then loses any faith of having some sort of reconciliation or a happy new deal with Britain. And that's then where the seeds of revolution are yeah, sown. There was nothing inevitable in the American Revolution, to be honest. I mean, again, as, as, as often the case in British history, it was, I think, British in action or the wrong British approach that led to it. Uh, and people like Jefferson, Washington, Franklin... Ironically, for fellas who are synonymous with a revolution, they were really keen to avoid it. But that's the way <laughs> politics goes. That's that's how it happens. Yeah. And those kind of unlikely revolutionaries uh, were accidental revolutionaries or reluctant revolutionaries were heroes in Ireland to many different people. Our own Henry Grattan, you know, who also believed that reconciliation with Britain was possible. Uh, he said that the two greatest men of modern times are William and Washington, meaning William of Orange and George Washington. People had these kind of yeah. unusual political ideas then. Uh, and, you know, Wolf Tone might have only been a child when Franklin was in Ireland, but he was in his 20s when Bastille Day was being celebrated on the streets of Dublin and people were carrying banners of Benjamin Franklin through the streets with words like, where liberty is, there is my country. So, you know, in just a few short years, Franklin had become this this great figure of, of influence over everyone in Ireland. Mm. I think those events in, in America and to an even greater extent what happened then in France, they're defining for this little country because they make people ask a simple question. It doesn't have a simple answer. You know, the best simple questions don't have simple answers. Yeah, yeah. But if it could happen there, why can't it happen here? That was the question. And look, when I think about Ben Franklin in that parliament in, in College Green, I think it's extraordinary that in our own lifetime we can remember 
American presidents have addressed us yes, fr- from, from that from building. in front of the same building. It's, isn't yeah. that extraordinary in just a few short centuries? Uh, just one thing, just as a, a little anecdote, and I know we're, we're massively pressed for time, and I told Simon, our producer today, that I wouldn't do this. But then when, <laughs> when you mention um, the New England farmers who were like the poorest in America and they still had such like luxurious lives compared to the, the those who were living in poverty in Dublin, it reminds me of something else, which we, of course, we are marking this week, which is the anniversary of the, the, the loss of the Titanic. And uh, I heard someone, authoritative, my a good friend and political colleague, Senator Maloney, who's written many books about the Titanic, pointing out that even the Irish who went in cattle class in steerage the ones that you see having the Cayleys in the films the living conditions that they had on the boat were infinitely better than what they had at home because they had hot running water and they had access to three square meals a day something that they just never had at home so everything is is always relative uh, Donald Fallon is the author of the book Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia and of the Khmer to Me books about the social history of Dublin he is also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast which you'll find anywhere you get your audio about the life and times of our capital city 